Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Freedom of Species. Uh, We bring animal advocacy to the airwaves. We're dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. That includes animal advocacy, activism, protection, conservation and, importantly, appreciation. We're broadcasting from the Melbourne studios of 3CR Australia. Uh, Live streaming and recent podcasts are on the 3CR website, All podcasts are available from the Freedom of Species website and iTunes. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Emma Townsend. Last week I read this great article in The Age uh, by Jenny Valentish titled Why Do We Hate Kangaroos? She wrote about the advance of housing developments both in Melbourne's northern suburbs and in country towns, actually landlocking kangaroos in higher concentrations and you know, thereby we think there's more of them. This landlocking is so dire that wildlife rescuers are finding it really difficult to find safe areas to release the joeys they have worked so hard at rescuing. How sad is that? It poses many questions about how we are living with our kangaroos and how we are treating them and the population estimates you know, how valid are they? There are many questions. Voiceless, the Animal Protection Institute an independent non-profit think tank, has been campaigning on behalf of kangaroos for many, many years. I spoke with Elise Burgess, the communication director for Voiceless on, on Friday by phone, about their new campaign for kangaroos, Their Fate is in Your Hands, which is really designed just to get people to ask all these questions and become more informed about what's really going on with the commercial kangaroo industry. She also is kind enough to stick around uh, to give us the voiceless reaction to the National Free Range Egg Standard development that happened on Thursday. 3CR Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future. Because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. 855am. Tune in and listen up. My name is Elise Burgess and I'm the Head of Communications at Voiceless. Thanks for joining us on the program. 
I'd like to talk about the new campaign that Voices has put out there, Their Fate is in Your Hands. Now, can you tell us mm-hmm. what happened during the week about the billboards being taken down at the last minute? Uh, yeah, absolutely. This is, um, this is a campaign about uh, the commercial kangaroo industry that Voices has been working on for some time. And what we had originally planned was to have advertising across New South Wales buses, specifically across Sydney. And we uh, had all the advertising approvals, um, specifically from the peak national body, which is the Outdoor Media Association. And we, we went with a, um, you know imagery that was not graphic or upsetting. It's just a beautiful image of a kangaroo and her joey with the word, their fate is in your hands. And just the URL to our, our website. Um, and we were really shocked then when at the 11th hour we received news that a government agency known as Transport for New South Wales had effectively vetoed our campaign. And it took us several days to even find out why this had happened. And we actually then were told that the agency had not actually seen our ad, but they had concerns about our website. And for us, this was, I mean, so strange because what is on our website is a critique of the commercial kangaroo industry, which is a legal government, you know, approved industry. So to us, it just seems like such a strange thing to happen. But we were fortunate, though, that because our messaging was so, it was clean, it was effective, we were able to very quickly turn around and contact some private billboard owners across Sydney and we were able to get our advertising out that week anyway, but on billboards and not government-related or transport positions. So they're not going to be basically on the side of buses, is that right? That's right. That's right. We originally were going to have them on the side of buses, and then a second part of the campaign was going to be at train stations. But because of this last-minute veto by a New South Wales uh, Transport for New South Wales, we instead decided to just change tactics and go for a privately owned billboard spaces instead. And it's actually, it's worked out perfectly for us. We're in great locations across the city, so we're still getting our messaging out there. So in terms of the campaign, we're absolutely fine, but it was just really appalling, I'm going to say, that a government agency would veto messaging that wasn't offensive, it wasn't distressing or offensive to the public in any way. It was merely asking the public to consider the fate of kangaroos. So it was a very strange and shocking turn of events. Yeah. One, Elise, are they allowed legally to do that veto? And secondly, what are your suspicions? Why would they do it? I can't know why, but in terms of legally, it's because of the advertising would have appeared on transport buses or train stations. The Transport for New South Wales does have the right to to veto advertising. So legally speaking, they're absolutely fine. It was more a matter of we did get Outdoor Media Association advertising approval, and that's the peak national industry body that represents Australia's traditional and digital outdoor media displays. And so by getting their approval, it's, it's nine times out of ten, that should be absolutely fine. Your advertising is then good to go. Mm-hmm. And our advert was even accepted by New South Wales bus operators. 
So it was just, it, it's very strange that it would be accepted by all the standard channels, but then Transport for New South Wales exercised its veto powers to reject the advertisement. So I, I can't talk as to why, because we weren't given a reason. It's just something that has been a, a just a very surprising turn of events and something that I think why we wanted to publicly bring attention to it. We were also just to warn other advocacy groups, you know, that there is this potential that your messaging, no matter how safe it is or, you know, non-confrontational, it can actually still be vetoed by, by government bodies. One would assume that someone's whispering very loudly in authoritative ears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's hard to say what happened, but what we do know is that our campaign was brought to their attention by a third party. We don't know who that third party was. So it's curious, but I suppose it's, we're just going to try and take it as being almost a compliment that our campaign is working because clearly it has made an impression on those who potentially have uh, an interest in the trade continuing as it is. You are tuned into Freedom of Species. We are chatting with Elise Burgess, Communication Director at Voiceless, about their new campaign for kangaroos. And we just heard how obviously the industry does not want voices to reveal what's really going on with the kangaroo industry, with Transport New South Wales practising uh, their veto to not allow at the 11th hour uh, voices advertising on the sides of buses and on train stations. And I would imagine that's because they've seen the success of awareness that the live animal export uh, advertisements and the puppy factory awareness uh, campaign had on the, you know, at trains, uh, bus stations as well. Elise, in a Canberra Times article, uh, John Kelly, the executive officer of the Kangaroo Industries Association of Australia, he really, really attacked Voiceless. You know, one of the quotes from the article is, the Voiceless campaign is full of outright lies and misrepresentation. And that's not our opinion. That's the opinion of a collection of the most informed wildlife scientists in the country. And he goes on. Do you have a comment on that? Absolutely. The statement from Mr. Kelly and the kangaroo industry that our campaign is full of lies or misleading is, quite frankly, a common tactic. However, we have reviewed their criticism and we have found from a legal and scientific perspective that our position is well-founded, it is supported by reputable, legal, scientific and empirical evidence, and it's information that we have seen published in independent, peer-reviewed scientific journals. And that is so important. This is independent research that has also been peer-reviewed and published. And in saying that, we note that amongst all the criticisms that industry have put forward, what they're not actually talking about is the important stuff, the core animal welfare issues outlined on Voiceless's website, because they can't argue with that, which is the moral and ethical dilemma inherent in slaughtering native wildlife for commercial purposes, and even more so, the brutality of the legal slaughter of, of baby joeys through blunt force trauma or decapitation. That's legal, and so that cannot be argued. That's a fact. What industry are trying to argue is the numbers of joeys. How many are being bludgeoned to death? What we're arguing is how can they possibly 
be legally allowed to bludgeon to death. So that's really, that's what the campaign is about and that's the only thing that we're going to be addressing because, you know, Australians have the right to know what is happening to kangaroos and make an informed decision. And I mean, it's quite a common tactic used by different lobby groups and different industries to detract from core messaging, but we're not going to allow that to happen because we are speaking for the kangaroos and they deserve to be represented. A lot of people at the moment, our city-centric selves, would be exposed to a lot of references that kangaroos are in big numbers, they are pests, mm-hmm. and, and they're, they're a problem. And yeah. can you just go into the nuts and bolts of, you know, these myths? Many Australians are under the impression that kangaroos are so overpopulated that they've reached pest proportions across the whole country. And for this reason, the kangaroo slaughter has really escaped the type of public opposition that other wildlife kills, such as the Canadian harp seal slaughter, has attracted. But according to a 2011 report by a think tank for kangaroos, the notion that kangaroos are costly to Australian farmers has been significantly overstated. And they also have found issues with the population data as well. But for Voiceless, I suppose what it comes back to for us, though, is we're an animal protection organisation. And for us, the reason that we have targeted the kangaroo industry is because of the legal way that kangaroos are allowed to be hunted in this country. And it's under a model code of practice. And essentially, it means that hunters are able to go out and the idea is that they kill the male kangaroo with a headshot. But our biggest issue is the lack of monitoring and enforcement in this. A lot of these hunts are happening out in regional areas where kangaroos are. At night, visibility is low. And, I mean, what exactly is happening on these hunts? And there's a lot of instances of misshots where kangaroos are instead of being a clean headshot. It's a body shot or their jaw, their neck, something like that. And we've had ex kangaroo shooters confirm this with us through anecdotal evidence. You know, they've told us about the number of times that a kangaroo has been left suffering because it hasn't been a clean headshot. Our other concern is the way that the joeys are to use the, the model code terminology euthanized. So it's legal that if a female kangaroo is shot and she has a joey, the joey must be killed by either decapitation or through bludgeoning to the head. And this is, this is so brutal and the point of our campaign is to, to shine a light on this commercial slaughter and just to make Australians aware that this is happening. We've been working on this campaign now for this particular campaign just this year, but we've been working for years on the commercial kangaroo slaughter and we've tried to speak on kangaroo behalf, but unfortunately there's such a strong negative public opinion towards kangaroos that really our pleas are falling on deaf ears. So what we're trying to do and achieve with this campaign is public awareness, just to get people to realise that there is a commercial slaughter of kangaroos, not a government cull, not the number of recreational hunting that goes on, but an actual profit-driven industry that is organising these, these hunts. So 
In short, our campaign is about awareness and it's trying to get people to empathise as well with the kangaroos. You are listening to Freedom of Species and we are chatting with Elise Burgess, the Communications Director at Voiceless, about their new campaign for kangaroos, Their Fate is in Your Hands. We've all seen kangaroos around, um, even as sadly roadkill, or we've heard of them around more so in the urban landscapes in the last couple of years. And we, we tend to therefore not even question when we hear that they are in plague proportions. Many pity the the farmers' woes of dealing with them and the associated costs of claimed damage from the pest kangaroo. Consequently, um, many believe this would then pose kangaroo meat as a perfect resource to turn into a, a greener option for meat consumption for humans or pets. They aren't in cruel factory farms. Uh, they're running free range, so, well, apparently. So isn't that a win-win-win? And add to that the ultimate cultural and environmental endorsement, our Indigenous populations eat kangaroo meat. There's a lot of arguments that seem to buffer uh, the reality of what goes on legally with what is a fully-blown commercial kangaroo industry. It's, you're absolutely right. This is... The kangaroo issue is probably one of the toughest animal protection issues that we've ever had to campaign on because there is that, there's such a multi-pronged approach to it and, and like different sectors of the Australian public who are defensive about the kangaroo trade for those various reasons that you just outlined. And yeah, kangaroo meat is commonly marketed as the green alternative or the humane choice because it's better than factory farming. And we're not arguing that people should go back to factory farming by no means. That's not, that's not what we're trying to say. But what we are trying to say is that in, in two hands, kangaroos have been demonised as vermin pests, not worthy of compassion because there's so many of them. And then on the other hand, they've also been marketed, their meat, as gourmet, high quality. But this this to us is just it's just marketing spin and it's all there to distract people from actually getting a realistic look at how the hunting is occurring, how the shooting is happening out in these fields, what the legal method of slaughter is. And then also like I think it would be interesting to see people's reactions to the Initial hunt, so kangaroos gun down in the dead of night. They go on the back of a truck, transported then probably like quite a distance to then chillers, which are essentially converted shipping containers where they're left to be chilled. And just last year, a New South Wales Greens MP, John Kay, made some disturbing evidence about risk of contamination in these chillers where kangaroo carcasses were being hung up next to feral pig carcasses and whatnot. So there's, it's that, cases like that just go to show the lack of regulation, monitoring and enforcement that go on from the kill all the way through to then what either people are eating or the eventual you know, use of the kangaroo body, whether that's leather or pet food. With the really concerning increased reports of 
animal cruelty perpetrated on kangaroos. Just last week there was an incident where uh, a few people were enjoying the sick and violent acts on kangaroos. I, I just hope that this outrage by the public helps us to question why um, these violent acts are being expressed, that it has to come from somewhere. The psychology behind these perpetrators is swimming in a petri dish of, you know, cultural acceptance that these kangaroos are a pest and therefore it enables or affords these violent acts. If we are outraged and say that we will not tolerate these acts of cruelty, we must question further with why they are happening. In 2016 so far, we have seen multiple cases of obscene cruelty to kangaroos. There was a case that you mentioned about the young men who chased down a kangaroo and they hacked at her with a machete. And this was just caught on by a, by a neighbouring property. We've also seen two men who filmed themselves eating kangaroos with bats. Eleven kangaroos were gunned down in a national park and left for dead. And then there was that horrible case in Brisbane where a driver deliberately ran down 17 kangaroos along a roadside. It's, it's absolutely overwhelming the level of hostility that some... That, that has been encouraged towards kangaroos. And it's so widely entrenched and it encourages this view that kangaroos should be disposed of by any means necessary. And for Voiceless, um, we feel that questions must be asked about the laws that govern the treatment of the iconic kangaroo, which on one hand is heralded as an Australian treasure. You know, we use the kangaroo symbol to represent the Australian spirit. But on the other hand, they are treated with such disdain and violence. And I suppose for Voiceless, what we, what we want or every single Australian to think about is whether you think they're a pest or not. We've invested our national identity into this animal, but yet some Australians still feel that kangaroos are fair game when it comes to brutality. And for us, we say that that is not acceptable. And... So as you were saying, with that multi-pronged sort of approach, like these different arguments people have for the treatment of kangaroos, for us it is simply no matter that these are sentient beings who are being treated appallingly in this country. Whether that's through recreational, commercial, you know, private shootouts, we're not like the whole range. But it's just, it goes beyond just the commercial industry. It goes to how do Australians feel about the way kangaroos are treated in this country, which is why we said their fate is in your hands. 3CR, radio that's independent, progressive and making a difference. Can we talk about in um, government departments, are they actually classified uh, in the framework as pests? Yeah, it's more a matter of they're considered to be at plague proportions or it's it's not they're not a pest in terms of, you know, the way that uh, introduced species are labelled as pests, but it's more a matter of population numbers. Uh, that more falls under the government cull and, and those sorts of quotas, whereas with Voiceless, we try to focus on the commercial industry and most recent estimates have been around 3 million kangaroos per year are an allowable 
huge quota for the commercial industry, and that's based on population data. So there's, there's so much lack of transparency around how the kangaroo industry operates. And we would argue a lack of independent assessment. And that's something that needs to be addressed so that Australians can have an up-to-date and accurate picture of current kangaroo populations, the current practices used to, to manage these populations, and just so we can have an honest debate, really, about these sort of quotas and whether the populations really are as high as some of these quotas are asserting that they are. I've read a few articles recently that the, there isn't a population explosion, that because of our overtaking of their land, we're forcing their populations into more of a concentrated area. So they're locked into little areas because we've taken over their habitat. With a group called the Centre for Compassionate Conservation, they've spent quite a bit of time looking at the population data and how it currently works is a section of area is looked at and the number of kangaroos on that area is assessed. And then that number is multiplied to cover the state's geographical surface area. But what our concern is that kangaroo numbers fluctuate so significantly across an entire state. There can be entire areas where there are no kangaroos. And equally, human habitat and also agricultural habitat is expanding into these areas and then we're shocked when suddenly the kangaroos are you know, in residential areas despite the fact that we have actually moved into their area. So in that sense, what we actually need is a genuine discussion about non-lethal alternatives if we continue to encroach upon their area through agricultural or residential means. We need to start having an honest discussion about, okay, these are the native inhabitants of this particular area, both flora and fauna. How do we actually accommodate them as opposed to just going immediately to killing them? That killing is creating that mentality around, well, we may as well have them as a resource and sell them for mm. their leather, meat, etc. That's right. We've, we've seen that in Victoria where there is a currently a pet food trial for um, kangaroos that are being culled. And so before the bodies were left, whereas... They, it was then petitioned that these bodies can now be turned into pet food because we're killing them anyway. But we would argue, okay, well, let's look at why you're killing so many and why aren't non-lethal means or non-lethal alternatives being explored if this is such an issue. Do you know anything about the uh, success of the non-lethal alternatives that have been suggested mm -hmm. or, or any of them you could share with us? I don't know the specifics, but there is in Canberra, because they do an annual cull in Canberra, there is a group down there who are doing, have taken it upon themselves to trial non-lethal alternatives. And it's through fertility control, and it's also through translocation. And so they would be an excellent group to follow up and ask how their findings are going, because obviously it takes several years to gather the data on how successful that can be. But... It's something that really should have government support because year on year we're allowing lots of kangaroos to be killed through government culls, millions to be killed through the government trade and who knows how many to be killed through recreational. So at continuing at the pace we are without asking questions about what impact this is having on the population to us seems very dangerous. 
You are listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR 855am. We are chatting with Elise Burgess, Communications Director at Voiceless, the Animal Protection Institute. There was a bill in California, so there was, from the 70s, there was a ban on kangaroo products, I believe. And so last year, there was a, an opportunity for a bill to be introduced that would permanently lift the ban and allow kangaroo product trade to continue between Australia and California. And the Humane Society of the United States, along with some groups here in Australia, took it upon themselves to lobby some of the independent senators over in California just to present an alternative picture as to why there were objections to the kangaroo trade. Similarly, the kangaroo industry and the Australian government were also lobbying at the same time, as is what normally happens when a bill is put forward. You have both sides of the lobby. Um, The specific details, I'm not entirely sure, but I believe that Humane Society of of US raised questions about the funding of a lobby group over there by the Australian government and whether it was done through its proper processes. However, I don't believe that there's been a conclusion to that yet. So that would probably be something that maybe is ongoing. So I'm not sure how that actually played out in the end. But for us, if that's just more of a... The kangaroo industry here receives quite a bit in government support. And to us, again, that's... I mean, a lot of agriculture industries do, and, like, we understand that. That's just that's sort of, like, the way that the trade system works. But at the same time, that's why we also ask questions as to why government won't then allocate funds towards looking at alternative means of this so-called trade operating or government culls. Mm. Why not allow some of the funding that goes towards propping up the kangaroo trade to instead go into more up-to-date population data or exploring non-lethal alternative means to government culls. So there's just there's a lot of questions that need to be asked about how kangaroos are treated in this country. At the very heart of this campaign, we are just trying to ask some long overdue questions mm-hmm. about the public and government attitudes towards the poor kangaroo. In response to our campaign, we've actually had a few people get in touch with us who have been witness to incredible cruelty and it's not surprising to us but at the same time it is now a matter of really just sort of collecting these stories. It is not this, you know, clean cut, humane kill that people have been led to believe. I'm sure there's some instances where there are headshots but we have anecdotal evidence so far about a lot of very, very bad welfare and cruelty occurring against kangaroos every night in this country. And we just need people to start asking questions about it, which is why we try to compare it to, say, the Canadian seal hunt, because the Canadian seal hunt is the largest, it's a very large marine animal slaughter, but the kangaroo industry is the largest land wildlife slaughter on the planet and yet it completely escapes any attention. So that's why we wanted to do this campaign to start bringing attention to it. And that's also another reason why we decided to put our advertising in city-focused areas, you know, in areas, like you said, where people have never even considered that there is a profit-driven industry to do with kangaroos. 
So it's, it's a difficult campaign, but it's a very important one. Freedom of Species is a show about animals, for animals, listened to by humans. Tune in Sundays, 1pm. You're tuned in to Freedom of Species. I'm just going to read from the Australian Society for Kangaroos website. If you're still thinking that kangaroo meat may be a green option, environmental arguments that kangaroo meat is a sustainable alternative to beef and lamb does not withstand rigorous scientific scrutiny, according to ecologists Dr David Croft, Dr Dr Ben Ami and Dr Dan Ramp from the Think Tank at the University of Technology, Sydney. According to scientists at the UTS, the number of kangaroos necessary to replace meat production from sheep and cows is ecologically unfeasible. They found that to provide Australians with just one small portion of kangaroo meat per week, 22 million kangaroos would have to be killed every year. The total population of kangaroos would need to be 151 million to support this offtake. This is more than five times the 30-year average population of 27 million to provide one serving of meat per Australian per week. Therefore, the Go Green Eat Roo push is sham science. You are listening to Freedom of Species and we are chatting with Elise Burgess, Communications Director at Voiceless, the Animal Protection Institute. Have you got a breath to talk about the National Free Range Egg Standard development that happened for us? Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously there was a free range egg consultation process that has been going on for some time now and yesterday was the culmination of that. It was a meeting of all Commonwealth, State and Territory Consumer Affairs Ministers. And the purpose of it was to come up with a nationally consistent free-range egg information standard. Prior to this, most free-range standards sat around the 1,600 per hectare mark. But as of yesterday, the new standard is now an outdoor stocking density of 10,000 birds per hectare. And we're very concerned about this because within this standard, it says that egg-laying hens will have meaningful and regular access to outdoors and an outdoor stocking density of 10,000 birds per hectare. Ah, and, okay. Yeah, an outdoor stocking. So that means we don't know how many birds are going to be inside a shed and we also don't know, I mean, meaningful and regular access to the outdoors. We don't know what that means. Does that mean that a little door is opened up on the side of the shed most days and if the birds can file out, they can go outside? We, we don't know what it means. And if we don't know, consumers are definitely not going to know. So we're just, I mean, to be honest, we're really disappointed because this has been, this has made the situation worse for genuine free-range egg producers, for consumers, and of course, the hens now. So we're really quite disappointed at how this came about and so is Consumer Group Choice who has actually named a list of products that consumers should boycott now because 
they don't meet what consumer expectations are of genuine free range. It's just quite absurd, we would say, and we feel like it's really out of kilter. If you ask a consumer what they think free range eggs look like, I guarantee you they would say that the birds are outdoors and they have space to move, when in actual fact the birds may, may go outside, and if they do, they have one square metre of space. So it's, we just feel that it's, it has not, this is not in the best interest of hens, for consumers, and even those genuine free-range producers. So we would raise serious questions as to, for people who do want to buy eggs, I mean, what are they supposed to do in these situations now? Big Ag did overtake the proceedings yesterday. Can you tell us how they, in fact, do that in that process? Mm. So how it was initially working is that they allowed a... With, with most submission processes or regulatory reviews, they allow parties who are involved in the industry to weigh in. And so what was initially happening, we found out, was that a vote was almost being cast as to how many hens you have was how influential your opinion was in the debate, which to us just seemed crazy because therefore meant that those free-range producers who say have 1,500 birds would have a less significant voice than, say, a producer who had 20,000 birds. That was something that came to light, uh, I believe, towards the end of last year. I'm not sure if that was rectified or not, but it was something that was confirmed last year. And then since then as well, it was also a matter that animal welfare groups and whatnot weren't able to really weigh in as well. Like, So we did campaigns around it, but we weren't able to go and sit at the table and genuinely talk about it. So it was just a matter of... We say that the process had been hijacked by big egg producers because many of them were the ones who had actually been, you know, the ACLC had actually opened proceedings against them in the past for misleading and deceptive conduct because of the way they had labelled their free-range packaging, whereas now the free-range packaging has been updated to suit what they were doing. It's just, the, it's, it's a very concerning development and it's something that we're going to watch very closely. So I would say that consumers will probably get, they'll probably get more information as it goes on. Thank you very much for your time today, Elise. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, with the, the free range development, it seems really much less complicated to choose the egg substitutes. Um, for example, on veganstreet.com, they suggest for baking, instead of an egg, you can use half a mashed banana, you can use a quarter cup blended silken tofu, one teaspoon ground flax with some water. Oh, the list goes on. A third cup applesauce. There really is no excuse. It's probably cheaper, in some cases healthier, I guess, to use these substitutes. Look, even on the PETA website, of course, they've got a big list. You can use prunes if you're, you know... If you like prunes, or you can use potato starch or I think half a cup of mashed potato. Anyway, the choice is endless and a lot less complicated than choosing eggs laid by hens. Okay, you might be interested now in attending the Voiceless Rethinking Kangaroos event, which is coming up on Wednesday night, the 6th of April in Sydney. And that will be a fantastic informative evening Wednesday 6th of April it's $8 a ticket 
And the speakers, there's fantastic speakers, Dr. Jeffrey Masson, he's a best-selling author who has written widely on the emotional lives of animals, including an international bestseller, When Elephants Weep. And he has also served as a professor at several universities in Canada and America. Um, The Honourable Mark Pearson, uh, MLC, the first Australian Member of Parliament to be elected on an animal justice platform. Dr Daniel Ramp, a a conservation biologist with expertise in wildlife ecology, animal behaviour, road ecology, pastoral management and conservation ethics. He's the director of the Centre for Compassionate Conservation at the University of Technology, Sydney, and also Senator Lee Rhiannon, um, the Australian Greens Senator for New South Wales and Greens spokesperson for animal welfare will be there as well. So if you're in Sydney, that's this Wednesday night. So I'd I'd get hopping if you want to get tickets. Um, I almost forgot something that's been rocking my world in the kitchen, going back to the egg substitute issue, is aquafaba. Um, who hasn't heard of aquafaba needs to. I'm reading from the Vegan Society website here. Aquafaba is actually means water bean, so it can be a great egg replacer as well. It is the fluid that's left over in your can of chickpeas or white legumes. You can also use I've heard, I haven't used it myself, but the fluid that's left over in the tofu box as well as an egg replacer. Anyway, aquafaba, fantastic. You can make the perfect meringues, macaroons. The list again is endless. So just have a look at the Vegan Society website. If you want to find out more uh, great recipes you can make with aquafaba. I think we'll have a tune before we talk about some more news. I have the RSPCA's response to the Royal Commission into Family Violence uh, findings and the details for the second annual conference on animals affected by domestic violence hosted by Lucy's Project. After this, it's a tune by Lilith Lane and it's called Higher Than This. You've tuned in to Freedom of Species on 3CR 855 AM. That was a tune by Lilith Lane called Higher Than This. I asked the RSPCA um, if they had a response to the Royal Commission into Family Violence findings, uh, seeing that we know now that there is a many links between animal abuse and domestic violence. And this is a response I got from acting CEO of RSPCA, Greg O'Brien. RSPCA Victoria is pleased to see pets and animals acknowledged among risk factors for perpetrators within the report findings. The report says, Because there is a direct link between family violence and pets being abused or killed, abuse or threats of abuse against pets may be used by perpetrators to control family members. We hope the Victorian Government will continue to consider the welfare of animals affected by family violence while ensuring the welfare of the people who are affected. Specifically, we hope to see a government-supported system 
to ensure that shelters for victims fleeing family violence can include animal accommodation, that local governments have a system in place for the provision of animal accommodation and that funding is provided for boarding of animals at private boarding establishments. The Commission's report also acknowledges the role of the Victorian Government's Safe Steps Response Service, which has been engaged to work with animal welfare agencies across Victoria. RSPCA Victoria looks forward to establishing a working relationship with Safe Steps to develop a broader strategy to address the temporary sheltering and care of animals across the state and develop additional programs that will be of significant value in both preventing cruelty to animals and aiding families in times of crisis. So thank you very much. That was um, the RSPCA Victoria response to the Royal Commission into Family Violence Findings by Acting Chief Executive Officer of RSPCA, Greg O'Brien. There's a lot of work to do, obviously, in that area. If one is interested in getting involved or they, or you may be working in the area in some capacity already, uh, Lucy's project has announced the second annual conference on animals affected by domestic violence for November, actually. I'll just read from their webpage. They will be bringing together speakers from across many sectors Australia-wide. This year, we have also invited international speakers to talk about the challenges, triumph and methodologies used to bring about change abroad. This year, the conference will be held in Sydney. Uh, The conference will officially begin on Saturday 5th November at 9am with presentations until 5pm. On the Saturday night, uh, they will have a networking set course social dinner at Bodhi Restaurant. Uh, Yum. Uh, And on the Sunday, they will reconvene at 10am until 4.30pm. Tea, coffee, lunch and snacks will be available throughout the weekend. Uh, There will be an informal drinks before and following the event for anyone who would like to maximise networking opportunities. I went to the conference last year and it was just fantastic. It was so inspiring to meet so many really wonderful people doing great work. The venue is a Portside Centre in Sydney and for contact details or to get tickets, I think there's early bird discount tickets as well, uh, please go to lucysproject.com. If this information brings up any discomfort, um, please contact 1800RESPECT on 1800 737 732. That's 1800RESPECT, 1800 737 732. Uh, Lifeline, 131114. That's Lifeline on 131114. Oh, there is Beyond Blue on 1300 Okay, I've got to really start skedaddling out of here for In Psychedelia, a great program that really gets into the detail, the nuts and bolts about all things drugs. I'd like to thank very much Elise Burgess. Thank you very much, Lilith Lane. And we will see you guys next week. And I'm going to have play an outro tune, Vegan Myths Debunked. If you'd like to contact us, uh, please do, on info at freedomofspecies.org or uh, via the Facebook or Twitter. Thanks again. Hey, Ivory. Yeah, Jonathan. You're vegan, right? Yes, that's right, I am. Can I ask you some questions then? Sure, man. Of course you can. Are you ready for the questions then? What are you waiting for? 
Where do you get your protein? Protein, protein. Only meat has protein. So where do you get your protein? Actually, lots of things have protein. Beans have protein. Greens have protein. Fruits and nuts have protein. Greens and seeds have protein. And here's the thing that's so obscene. Don't need so much protein. Most people eat more than they need. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.